Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Doug, right out the gate, say something that... You know, it's uh, one of these kind of contrarian moments. So big story of last week was Nebraska women's volleyball set a record for the highest attended women's sporting event in the history of the universe with over 92,000 people in attendance. Nice reaction on the for those of you on the video. <laughs> and, you know, the backstory on it is that Nebraska women's volleyball has apparently been selling out for years. I don't know what size arena the internet failed me figuring out how much they have drawn over time. <clears throat> but they had their record broken by Wisconsin. And I think what it sort of boiled down to was Nebraska's basketball arena seats 15,500. Wisconsin's arena seats a few more than that. I think probably 18, 19,000, the Kohl Center, I believe. And so this became a bit of a kind of a competition to have the largest crowd in the history of NCAA women's basketball. And so they put it together, kind of put this tournament together, rolled out to the football stadium and put 92,000 people out there. And, you know, the accolades flowed from there, right? What a, what a great moment. But Doug, as I'm watching this, all I could think was, in some ways, this is a terrible situation for women's sports. <laughs> you know, where's he going? And I think the previous record was from one of the soccer games in the FIFA World Cup. And so what they've now done is they've transferred this record from a legitimate competition to a publicity stunt. And, and so all I could think was it, it's almost like the old like Guinness Book of World Records where, oh, you know, oh, you've made the biggest sticker in the world. Right. And, and so now, you know, for the women to overcome this, it, it's almost impossible as well. Right. And so Nebraska will own this. Until, I don't know, the University of Michigan decides that they want to have the, the record for women's sports. Now, I will say this, that one of the things I think fa is fascinating about this is the fact that they can get 92,000 people, which shows you how fandom works, where they all come together just to be part of the crowd. Yeah. And Mike, remind our audience what, what sport this is. Women's volleyball. Did I not say that? <laughs> so we've got a, a women's volleyball game on a football field in yes. front of 90,000 people. That's pretty spectacular. I imagine the court is fairly tiny. I don't know. Having like been to, if you go to a final four game and it's in a football arena and there's a basketball court on there and it's like, it takes up like 
maybe 10% of the square footage. I imagine with a, a volleyball match, it's uh, even more so that way. But nonetheless, impressive showing by the fan base. And that's something you mentioned how fans take part in this. It's like once they see the challenge, they're they're more down to go to the event. I remember at Georgia, Kirby Smart's first year with the spring game and wanting to pack out the stadium. And I think they set an attendance record. And it's like everyone was there just to set the record pretty much. No one really cares uh, about a spring football game. But this does sound similar to that. It sounds almost exactly equivalent to that, right? I'm curious about the NIL side of this. Like uh, somebody's got to be somebody's got to be cashing out. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Doug, we got to return to NIL at some point, you know, because NIL has gone in – NIL has gotten strange, I think. And I don't think most people appreciate how strange it's gotten. I suspect that there is decent NIL money flowing through the Nebraska programs. and, and Nil-Braska. Yeah, Nil-Braska. Remember that? I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think NIL has sort of become – you know what? Let's save that for another day. Just because I think NIL has not worked out the way people thought it was going to in terms of it sort of being legitimate market based on the legitimate marketability of the athletes. I think it, a lot of it has kind of boiled it derived down to, you know, there's these consortiums at every school spreading the money around. Now that's not a bad segue to really what was the biggest story of the weekend. Now we're talking. And, and I think we're also going to disagree with this. And, and so Deion Sanders and you know there's some NIL in the background that we'll probably really know how that's working out. You mean the guy from the Affleck commercials? Yes, the guy from the Affleck commercials who apparently had some toes amputated and didn't even care, doesn't need the toes. <laughs> A guy that has been, I don't know, arguably one of the top 50 celebrities in America over the top 30 of the last 30 years. Does that sound about right? I mean, he's neon Dion prime time. I mean, he's been a major media figure for decades at this point. Well, he arrived in Colorado and he took over college football. You know, he, they beat TCU and I am a little bit mixed on this one, Doug. Okay. So part of me goes, and I think this is the conventional wisdom, so you know I'm going to go the opposite direction eventually. Dion is great for college football. It's showtime, right? He, you know, the bright lights were suddenly. I think the game was at T, was the game was at TCU because I remember Dion's kid at the end like running to celebrate, and I think looking up and all the crowd was wearing purple. So Dion lighting up Colorado, right? And sort of making them relevant, making them excited. He's got a he's got Travis Hunter playing both ways, more than 100 snaps, I think. His kid throwing for was it 500 yards or something, setting records. Shador right. bringing a massive amount of excitement and I think what Colorado's going to the Big 12, right? And so a marquee figure coming to the Big 12. Okay, that's the positive. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that game was absolutely bananas for those who watched. Like it was a lead change every yeah. 90 seconds for the entire second half. And I did have this sneaking suspicion Colorado was going to be the team to win, partially because it just felt like the story. I mean, you're talking about a, a team that won one game a year ago going up against a team that was in the national championship game 
of course, Deion Sanders and the, the bright lights that come with him, as well as Travis Hunter, who many forget was the number one player in high school football just two years ago and who had Alabama, who had Georgia, who had Ohio State. Everyone was after that favorite kid. At this point in the year, Doug? Say what? Heisman favorite right now? He, I honestly, they're talking about the quarterback, you know, Sanders kid, because he, what, put up 500 yards. Yeah. But, I mean, Travis Hunter, shoot, playing both ways, if he keeps performing at the rate that he has, that one interception, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it, Mike, was I did. I very I- impressive and a game-changing play, by the way. And so, Doug, you know, some of the stuff on Instagram of him playing pickup basketball at Colorado. Dude's an athlete. It's just better. (laughs) Yeah, he's an athlete. And, you know, he's got that Dion swagger. Like after the game, they asked him if he's worn out. He played almost every snap of the game. And he's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And Dion's saying, you know, we're going to have a hot tub on the plane for him. Mm -hmm. You know, he is Dion Sanders Jr. And I think that the lights and cameras are going to be following Colorado football all year. They might go six and six. I wasn't super impressed <laughs> by their team as far as I could see why they won just one game a year ago. But uh, nonetheless, they're an entertaining team. You know, maybe like last year, this time of year, we were talking about Appalachian State. And what, what did I say like a week ago? I was like, there's going to be some team that pops out and that everyone's all excited about early in the year. And I think it is Colorado. And Deion Sanders, a guy who... Article to write. I mean, yeah, Deion's right there, right? I mean, half the article's written. It's... Yeah, exactly. And, you know, his trajectory is pretty interesting because obviously starting at a HBCU last year and then jumping up to Colorado and having some success week one, I know that Auburn entertained the idea of him as head coach. And, of course, Florida State, his alma mater, might have some interest down the road. So he's – it'll be something to keep an eye on, but he okay. might be a mainstay in college football. Okay, and this is where I wanted to depart from – the way the stories are being written. Okay, so Colorado's, uh, without question, the best storyline of week one of college football. I'll put it out there. Look, I mean, in some ways, you know, for the journalists, for the media, Dion is the best story. For college football, you know, I mean, look, there's some shaky fundamentals in college football, right? I mean, you know, we, we talk, we look about things like realignment, conference realignment, which you could also look at as the death of traditions. Dion is a dangerous figure for college football, right? Because, you know, the stuff that went along with this of he basically fired the Colorado football team. They, I think they said eight, six new players. Yeah, they a lot of guys had to transfer. Okay, Dion went to JSU, right? Because he was, a, and, and I think Hunter did too, because they were big believers in HBCUs. Until Colorado called, until a Power Five, and, <laughs> until they abandoned, until they abandoned. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's a question: Do you think that Dion will recruit and see a single player graduate from Colorado? If he's successful, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if he's successful, we might see Travis Hunter at another school. Yeah, we might see Travis. Yeah, I mean, I would say Florida State if they hadn't started the year the way they did. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a head coach opening there anytime soon. Maybe a year ago was different, but yeah, I mean, it's can't you see another situation that opens up like Auburn this last year? I'm not saying it's going to be Auburn because they have a first year coach, but another situation like that where Deion Sanders, you know, say he wins eight games this year. I mean, 
becomes an impressive candidate. And Travis Hunter's not playing without him. No. And the kid, you know, he's got to play. He's going to leave too. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, it's like if you're a Colorado fan, you almost don't want to be too successful if you want the guy there long term. And I think he's going to. I think he's going to recruit just purely based on his personality, right? And he his reputation. I mean, that's how we got Travis Scott. I mean, Travis Scott, Travis Hunter, and, 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 this, and this is, I think, the key. It's like Dion is a great asset for the sport of football, but I'm going to say Dion needs to be in the NFL because I think Dion, and, and I'm not, no criticism really intended. I think he's one of these guys that looks at college football as essentially a professional football league. And, and so, you know, if you're Colorado, <laughs> you know, do, do you think Dion's maintaining relationships with the local high school football coaches in the, <laughs> area in the Denver area or do you think he's more of a national guy in terms of recruiting I think he's definitely a national guy I don't think there's anything wrong with it and this is kind of what I'm saying is it's almost like college football is sowing the seeds of its own I was gonna say demise but maybe transition right transitioning to being a full-on you know we almost Doug we also need almost like another designation of not beyond power five it's got to be like for the you know, the playoff caliber teams, you know, the right. teams that Dion needs to be at one of those 10 teams. He does not belong at a school that is kind of chugging along because he's running. And again, I'm not talking about the internals, but externally, he's running a professional program and that's going to blow up at Colorado at some point. Yeah, and I think that the one positive for college football is he's going to make like the Cheez-Its Bowl or <laughs> one of these bowl games watchable at least uh, or a storyline because I don't see the college football playoff in Colorado's near future, but they're going to be the center of attention no matter what, even if TCU's the only game they win this year. And okay. so, and one more thing I love about Dion is that like college football, uh, because of the success of guys like Nick Saban, I feel like there's this over profession that's not a word but people are really professional as far as how they conduct themselves with the media mm-hmm. all the you, you hear the term coach speak yeah like kirby smart you know always complimentary of the opponent always empathetic to the media and the storylines and the thoughts and opinions of everybody always kind of coaching the players to and same with nick saban at alabama to kind of diffuse any kind of sensationalized stories and Dion's almost the opposite. It's like he's begging for attention. He's going to say something outrageous. He had receipts of the journalists who had predicted that he wouldn't be successful or that Colorado wouldn't be successful. So from an entertainment standpoint, I think it's a great thing. I think he's going to make a lot of enemies. And I know he has on the recruiting trail. And, I mean, he did a Georgia. And he was, after they got Travis Hunter, he was flexing on Instagram, you know, he, and, and on Twitter. Like, he was rubbing it, rubbing salt in the wound. And that's not something we've seen in college football from someone in a leadership position. And so, and I think there's certain players that are attracted to that. So they might get more talent than they really do. And so, it really is an interesting story. I just, the hype about, you know, them being this top team, I'm not buying it. I wasn't very impressed by them as a team. I'll say this, you know, I think our observations are completely consistent. It's just a question of like diagnosing what these observations mean, you know, yeah. will be the story. He will be interesting. He'll be fun while it lasts. But, you know, I'll say this, Dion should be the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. 
Right. I mean, in terms of, and, and maybe not even the Dallas Cowboys, but that would probably be the most amusing path forward. But Dion should be an NFL head coach. And, you know, maybe the problem is no one wants to hire him as their coach. But if you got a group of 30 head coaches and you're the NFL, there should be room for Dion as one of those guys. And again, it's the difference if it's a professional league that's really just a show. That's to me, that's where Dion belongs. See, I disagree. I think college football is perfect for Deion Sanders. And the reason why is because it's like, like I've always felt like, you know, when Nick Saban went to the NFL and failed epically, and I've always felt like that about guys like Kirby Smart. It's like yes. college football, so much of it is about recruiting and who you get. And he has a ridiculous advantage there compared to the uh, NFL. Steve Spurrier, right? <laughs> yeah. These guys that were used to playing. Urban Meyer. These ga- they're used to playing games where essentially there were a hundred guys and they got to pick the first fifty, right? And they were yeah. tremendously successful. Yeah, it's you know it's just kind of this question of where is college football? Going? I just think I think Dion has this magic that it will attract a lot of high school kids that are really talented, and that wouldn't be a factor in his coaching success in the this pros. This is an interesting debate, Doug, because I think we agree on every point except the conclusion. Where he belongs. Yeah. College football, man. Yeah. Until he gets some recruiting violation, then he coaches some high school. Well, uh, it, that's what I mean. I could definitely see that happening. I think it's probably going to, you know, somehow I have a feeling it's going to play out exactly the way we're speculating that he's going to have some success. And one of these, you know, one of these college football eligible teams, you know, the, let, let's say the universities of Florida State. Yeah. You know, one of these one of these kind of teams that kind of can get in there, they got mm-hmm. a shot at it, is going to roll the dice on it. And that will be, and again, that will be the, can you imagine Dion at Florida State? Well, you mentioned Florida, who's right. more likely to be in a in need of a coach. That would be. Into those programs? Well, I mean, Florida's uh, Florida State's rival. And so that would be a really interesting situation because but, his alma mater would be. I think his main opponent to like Notre Dame versus Miami, you know, it's like, I think Dion would show up, you know, with an amazing roster, at least from a media perspective. I, you know, again, so I, I get where you're coming from as a college football fan. God, I want to see it. If, oh, you said Miami. Well, but I'm saying Miami FSU Miami though. That's like a cultural fit right there. Oh, I mean the turnover chain. The play- Speaking of the turnover chain, did we see the Joker mask for, I believe it was Liberty? They had a... You said you know, that. Yeah. So in college football... During a, a school yeah. and then put the mask on? So I think it's like a turnover chain situation. So like for Georgia, they have the Savage Pads. It's my old podcast, Savage Pads podcast. <laughs> At Miami, they have the turnover chain. At one point... Uh, Tennessee had a trash can that they would dunk the football into. Super lame. I think that was like at the tail end of the Butch Jones era. Super lame. But I don't know. Liberty might take the cake with the full-on Joker mask. Guy makes a play, goes to the sideline, and they put like a Heath Ledger Joker mask with like the green hair wig uh, on the guy, and he he looks absolutely terrifying. How are you going to make some better, <laughs> Doug? Right? I mean... I think they're going to start having fans at the games bring the, the masks with them, put them on every time there's a turnover. Like, I think it's really great. Okay, so um, what else happened in college football? One of my favorite moments was Duke becoming – and look, I never root for Duke. 
<laughs> in a football school. So the Duke quarterback then took to Instagram and asked for an extension on his homework. <laughs> Duke professor responded by saying no, because the offensive lineman in the class already got the assignment in. I'll go on record. And then, you know, Emory doesn't have a football team. So this is the hollowest of promises. I would give that extension every time. Every time. Yeah, I think the. I mean, whoever does the homework for the quarterback should have already turned it in. Yeah. But yeah, their fan base was like, it, they looked like the Cameron Crazies out there. They were awesome. I'll give that extension for the volleyball team or the swim team. You know, nope. <laughs> Basically, if you're in Mike's class, just ask for an extension. <laughs> Even if you're not an athlete. Yeah, so they looked like the Cameron Crazies. It reminded me of Tennessee Bama last year. Absolutely just like what makes college football so great. It's so pure. These kids are just, the adrenaline is through the roof. You know, I saw a lot of guys without their shirts on. I saw a lot of blue paint. Mm -hmm. I saw a guy in a T-Rex costume, just some randomness. (laughs) And they were fired up. And so, yeah, Duke football. For all we know, they could be the best team in the country right now. I agree with you. And this is the beauty of college football in particular. It's like where we still kind of see this pure fandom, right? And again, we talked a lot about Tennessee last year, Appalachian State. We see it week in, week out. What kind of concerns me when I look at the fundamentals, is this eventually going to soften? And I'll point to, well, college basketball, I think has really, is really in relatively dire, is in dire. It's like almost dead. Yeah. But the other one is conference realignment. And so this last week we saw even more of, and I don't understand how the Big Ten let Cal and Stanford escape, but Cal and Stanford going to the ACC along with SMU, though I believe there's some weirdness out there where SMU gets less of the media rights. And it might have something to do with with how they're entangled in other agreements, but SMU gets less of the media rights than Cal and Stanford, and, and again, it's so now we're in a situation where I don't know the you know some low revenue sport. You got a dual meet between Wake Forest and Cal on a Wednesday night, right? It, you know, so the long term fundamentals of college college sports seem you know again at the top. Hey, Doug is a Georgia fan. At the top, this is a lot of fun. This is going to be well. Fun. Depends who you ask. Yeah, well, but you know, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Notre Ohio Dame, State. Yeah. You know, you're going to you're going to some extra level. The other guys out there, you know, where what is the future going to be? And and I'm not going to be. I've been enough negative this week, Doug. But it's like I don't know. But I do see significant issues for the Vanderbilts. there certainly have been issues for the Vanderbilts including last week where they had the locker room for the other team was like a tent or something (laughs) not intentionally (laughs) I don't know some facility issues due to something I I lose track but Vanderbilt is kind of a laughing stock yeah I just all that said and we always talk about I mean even guys going pro early at one point the discussion was you know is this going to ruined college football and now it's been nil and it's been but like week one and you've got duke upsetting clemson and you've got that crazy you know lsu loss to florida state and the wyoming game bonkers 
you know, I think some of the most I corrected you or not corrected you. I just mentioned there. It depends who you ask as far as those top fan bases. I think some of the most miserable fans in college football are actually Georgia fans, Alabama fans, Ohio State fans. Okay, that's fair. Because if you followed either of those three games, the fan bases were at one point, you know, coming undone because we're not as good as we used to be. If you're Georgia, if you're Ohio State, we don't have a all-world quarterback. If you're Alabama, I thought our offensive line was supposed to be the best of all time. And then I, you know, I think I personally think Alabama's actually played really well for what I saw, but. Nonetheless, those fan bases are so hypercritical that they can't just enjoy it. And I don't think anyone enjoyed football like Duke fans this week. <coughs> and and I think that's what's great about college football. You don't have to be the best for it to be a blast. Okay. One shining moment. No, it, like I said, it's an interesting – I think we're at a point of – I think we're in an age of transition. I just don't know where it's going to end up because it, it is fascinating to me how – look, we, we – Every week, you know, that NCAA commercial last year, the stories write themselves. Every week we get a story and every week we see that the purity of the fandom in terms of just 100% all in, like the absolute joy. It's like the old ABC Wild World of Sports, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. We see that drama captivating, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 105,000 people. But again, it's like the... You know, where is this going? And like, you know, for us, it's awesome, right? Also, We're- did you see that Manning is third rep- string? And also reportedly making more money than Joe Burrow this year. Yes. <laughs> I do think we might have guys stay in college longer because of that. So that's another twist in NIL that I didn't really anticipate. Caleb Williams has already come out and said, depending on who has the number one pick this year, he might sit another year because he's kind of unanimous, you know pick right now at least yeah Uh, you know i mean and that that came up remember that came up with my basketball team illinois when they had kofi cockburn who was this all-american center but was not a pro prospect (laughs) i really wonder if he could have and he didn't i think he did a little shopping around but you would think that he could make more money as you know moving to kentucky or north carolina as a you know final year of eligibility than going to play in europe Right? Yeah, and I think that in retrospect, the funniest like situations with like kind of the Manning type situation are the guys that end up being sort of busts. Like I don't, you know, I like Jacob Eason, who probably would have demanded mm-hmm. Arch Manning money yeah. back when he was a recruit, and then loses the job to a Jake Fromm, transfers to a Washington. But it's like, does he? You know, does he have guaranteed money? DJ Uyungle, another one who would have, and he did, he had a Dr. Pepper commercial. Like, he was their national spokesperson for a year. I'm sure he made, I know, and you then know, last close weekend, to seven figures. And then last weekend was defeated San Jose, I think. Yeah, DJU's back. Yeah. He's back. The DJU hype is back. Get him the NIA. Get it. Dr. Pepper, call him up. This is your you want your spokesman back. Yeah, but the those situations are interesting to me. The guys that don't really pan out. Let's say that for a second, because that's kind of the thing about NIL that again, I think something's gotta get something's gotta get done. Because you know, my sense is that NIL is there's a ton of money out there, but there's not a ton of legitimate money out there. Right. So we hear all these things of, you know, 
this quarterback, the Alabama quarterback makes three and a half million dollars a year. Arch Arch Manning makes is making three million dollars a year. For what? Right. I mean, what ads are they appearing in with the idea of can you track these ads back to are there incremental sales on the Angel Reese is going to make one point two million dollars for LSU. Is there anything commercial about is there any commercial logic to these deals or is it just, you know, we've gathered ten million dollars for this program and we're going to allocate this to our stars and to recruit additional people in. And I think that's where the NCAA has got to, you know, look, they've been so far, but they got to find a way to start getting it, you know, ahead of this thing. Well, something tells me, and I mean, everyone's been calling this for a while. Something tells me a lot of these deals are, you know, the booster has a business and they need a representative and they hire a guy. And it just so happens to be the amount of money that the player wants to go to school there. Um, and it may or may not involve TV commercials or, or much more than, you know, maybe an autograph or a one public appearance. You mentioned guaranteed money. And like, I suspect there is no guaranteed money that these are a sort of shadow, shadowy deals because look, you leave, these things are gone. You transfer, you're going to the next consortium. Yeah, but, you know, this <laughs> makes me think about the Tui family. You know, I would imagine back when they were Ole Miss boosters that they would have had some Ole Miss football players doing ads for KFC <laughs> and Taco Bell, exclusively <laughs> Ole Miss players, and may even adopt some of them. Got this weird, you know, that just triggers some idea about, you know, the Tui's appearing in the next movie about the originators of NIL, right? They're, I think they're Auburn boosters now because <laughs> of Hugh Freeze. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, l- quick look ahead and then we'll switch to the NFL. Any games? There, you know, I'm looking at the schedule. There's not a lot of, it looks like maybe the marquee matchup in terms of ranked teams is, oh, number three, Alabama versus number oh, yeah. 11. Texas seems to be the Bama. Write it down. Bama's going to wax them. You're, you heard it here first. I think everyone would be surprised if it went the other way, right? It's you know Texas is an interesting story in terms of can Texas build to become that Georgia Alabama like program? They definitely have the resources. They have the recruiting base. They have the history. If there's someone that has the potential to do it, but you know how quickly can they get there? Going into the season, I was like Texas is going to be a playoff team this year. You know, Quinn Ewers at quarterback. I mean, A.D. Mitchell transferring from Georgia, wide receiver, and he's not even their top receiver. So they got players, man. They got players. They've got they've been pouring resources into that program, their facilities, their coaching staff, all the rest. But watching Texas last week against Rice, watching Alabama, I just I don't think they're there yet. Could be wrong. Would love to be wrong. Last year I was wrong. Last year I thought that they were going to get waxed and they should have beaten Bama. They got robbed in that game. And so they practically beat them. And so maybe I'm wrong again, would love to be, but I just have this feeling in Tuscaloosa, people, Bama tends to play their best football when they get written off a little bit. And going into the season, it was like, you know, they don't have an elite quarterback anymore. Georgia's now the team and, you know, Bama's playing second fiddle. I just, that's a dangerous situation. I wouldn't want to play Bama right now if I'm Texas. So, I'm, I, I think Bama's going to wax them in, in, in the storyline on Texas real quick. The other must-watch must game on the schedule is probably Nebraska versus Colorado. Sorry, oh, yeah. the number 22-ranked Colorado 
buffaloes. And, and, <laughs> and it, it, it's, you know, sometimes I think, you know, you almost get caught up in the brands, right? You say, oh, Nebraska, right? Historical oh. power, Nebraska. Is this a, te- you know, a real test for Dion and the buff- buffaloes? You know, who knows? Well, I think any game is a real test for them at this point, but from what I saw this last week. But I do think it's very fortunate scheduling for the narrative for Colorado because, yeah, you know, the TCU game could be viewed as a fluke, which granted, this is a TCU team lost their last game by 60-plus points. You know, last year against various unranked teams, barely won by the skin of their teeth. And so perhaps they were a fluke last year and it makes Colorado look good now, but nobody knows that yet. And they have a different quarterback and, you know, their top receiver's gone. I mean, it's a different team. But with the whole Colorado Nebraska situation, it's like if they win this one, it starts to mm-hmm. legitimize them in the eyes of a lot of people, even though Nebraska's been a lot laughing stock for the last decade, it seems. And they have a first year head coach. There's nothing legitimate about that program. You know that specific team from what we know thus far. It's good, right? It sounds good. It's like I used to always get frustrated when Alabama would they would have a big non cupcake opening game and be against like Virginia Tech or Michigan or Clemson. They would always catch those teams. USC one year they would catch those teams in a down year, and then they would beat them by fifty points, and it made them look like totally unbeatable. And they would always jump to number one That's if they the- weren't already number one. I was always like that, and then it turned out that team would go six and six. But it's like it's USC. Yeah, it, was that like one of the all-time great social media moments? Was that the <laughs> USC players were barking at the camera, and then Bama, up by fifty or something? Bama had a couple of those. I remember when I was a student at Georgia. They we played Alabama at home and Georgia was way overhyped. Grayson Lambert was the quarterback. I think they were undefeated at the time. And I think it was like three versus five, Georgia, Alabama. And Bama comes out of the tunnel and the Georgia players are like standing there, like taunting them and like literally like yelling at them and, and trying to, you know, blow smoke. And you know, five minutes later, Bama's up 31 to nothing in the first half. It's like they used to do that to everybody. But USC's was absolutely brutal. The <laughs> Those players really, you could see they really believed they were going to win that game. And they ate a big old piece of humble pie. And that's, uh, you know, talk about dismantling. It's hard to dismantle brand equity, but that's the way to do it if you're USC. Okay, Doug, I'm looking at the clock. It is this time of year now where suddenly – You know, I think ESPN's ratings almost like double at this point in the year when the NFL comes to town. So we are week one in the NFL. Again, you know, alluded to this idea that the stories write themselves in college football. Man, there's got to be in some ways no easier beat than being an NFL reporter, right? Every week. There's multiple great storylines. I'm just looking at the schedule here. You know, right off the bat, there's sort of, and again, you, I don't know if you have the schedule in front of you. Like, I look at two games in particular, Green Bay versus Chicago, okay? And that might not even be a good game, but we got Jordan Love versus Justin Fields. and oh, That's the perfect game. Yeah, and we also have Green Bay versus Chicago, right? Right. So, historical rivalry, two young quarterbacks with different kind of trajectories, different kind of backstories. Absolutely fascinating, you know, multiple angles on that. And the other one, and the other, and again, the NFL always wins. The Monday night matchup, 
Oh is yeah. Low with, you know, Josh Allen versus Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. The NFL's, you know, shouldn't you say the NFL's back? The NFL's always here. It's been back. Yeah. I mean, as a Giants guy, of course, I'm looking forward to Giants Cowboys Sunday night football. And I mean, what a great lineup for week one. Giants Cowboys Sunday night. Bills, Jets, Aaron Rodgers making his debut Monday night. Obviously, that Packers Bears game in the early slot. Detroit, Kansas City on Thursday night. Yeah. I mean, I think Detroit is the pick to win the NFC North versus taking. Which is crazy to hear. Crazy to hear that sentence. Uh, You don't hear that every year. You know, Eagles, Patriots. That's the, the dynasty of yesterday versus the kind of budding, you know, hopeful dynasty of today. I mean, I, I, we could go through every game on here. And, quarterback squaring off there, right? Mac Jones versus Jalen Hurts. Yeah, that's right. Teammates. I mean, shoot, any of these games. You know, Texans-Ravens, like first-year quarterback in Houston, first-year OC in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Like, I mean, I it's you're right. It's an easy job. They write themselves. And... Hey Doug, here's something. I think we're I think we made it through the hard part of the year, Mike, because now it's like we got October baseball around the corner. We have football season. You know, the only bummer is we have USA basketball losing to Lithuania. <laughs> okay, we'll get there in just a second. But as I pulled up the schedule on ESPN, and I don't know how long they've had this, but they've got this link into, I believe, StubHub or something. So it's tickets as low as. So what do you think the top ticket prices are for this weekend in the NFL? Uh, it's got to be that. I'm going to say that Jets Bills game. Is that in New York? It's it. It's at New York. It's at the Jets. That's only 147 for the lowest. No, it's not the lowest. But I mean, that's it's not. That's the, like average, it's, or it's not at the top. It's relatively near the high end, but it's not number well, one. Well, if I go based on your fandom rankings, I'll just go with the Raiders. Whoever they're. Oh, they're on the road. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, Giants Cowboy. Mm, maybe that that Chiefs Lions game in the Arrowhead. No, number one, Green Bay versus Chicago Bears. Oh I, yeah, of course. They're probably buying the tickets because you know Aaron Rodgers is gone, and they feel like they can do some damage. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Wait, the yeah, because that game's in Chicago. Chicago but yeah, yeah. If they find out, if they go out and lose to Jordan Love, that I mean, that's got to be so disheartening. Uh, after they, all these years of yeah, hopes is eternal, right? With you know, they've got the highest ticket opening day ticket price, and, and you know, love them or hate them, Justin Fields has not delivered. I mean, so we're. Well, I don't know if you've heard, Mike, but yeah. this is Justin Fields' year. That's breakout year. Yeah, it's his breakout year. It's like this time it actually is. And Bears fans, if they beat the Packers Week One, the Justin Fields hype is going to be Excellent. through the roof. It's yeah. all we will hear about. Even though he will have just defeated essentially a first year quarterback, right? The hype will get rolling. Who may be a bust. We don't know yet. Okay. So, Doug, after the Bears and the Packers, we've got Philadelphia, New England at number two, and then Dallas at the New York Jets at number three. Wait, Dallas at the Giants, right? Dallas at the Giants, and then Buffalo at the Jets following up at. Yeah. So, those two, so, you know, Meadowlands are going to have that Giants, Cowboys, and Bills, Jets back to back. Okay. Now, in a row. how about the other side of this? Where do you think the lowest price tickets are? <laughs> I'm looking at, we got Jaguars, Colts, which still yeah. is intriguing to me because Trevor Lawrence and <laughs> Anthony Richardson 
I don't think it's going to be his year. Uh, so Commanders versus the Cardinals for sure. That's got to be the lowest, right? No, that's uh, $71. So you were right. Jacksonville at Indianapolis at $32. Okay. Followed by a tie between Carolina at Atlanta. Ouch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and this one is... God, this is sort of amazing in a lot of ways, but I don't think it's going to surprise you. Miami at the Los Angeles Chargers at $45. $45 in that market? That's, I, you know, I will say, and I've said this before, last year I went to the national championship game in that stadium. Of course, that's a little different, you know, national championships and Super Bowls, but the I, I went to a Chargers game once and the parking i was all excited because i got my ticket to the game for 30 dollars. i was like i'm going in an nfl game for 30 bucks you know <laughs> like what a steal especially in this town you know on this trip where every meal costs more than that and as you know people who have visited know and going to the stadium and realizing that parking was going to be at least 70 dollars, no matter where i parked my car and so it was like we just got shammed like we thought they got us with the ticket the ticket is just like a it's basically a freebie where they make their money as parking your car's ticket is more than your ticket right yeah. right exactly and so and that's where they get you i would you know you do your fandom rankings and they rank really low because the ticket prices aren't that high for the market if you factor in parking for all these teams they probably have the highest parking in the country well you know actually highest priced that actually comes through because those fan cost indexes includes ticket, includes parking, and I think they have the the cost of like a beer built into there as well, and some concession stuff, and even a little bit of merchandise totals. Okay, so never mind, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Mike knows everything, oh. and I don't. <laughs> I spend a lot of time looking at data for a lot of years. <laughs> okay, Doug. Last agenda item here. Okay, I don't even know how they're doing. Hey, did BYU win in week one? Mike, they won the hearts of the internet. Okay, but did the football team win in week one? Let me see. see? We don't even know. And so BYU there's a lesson here that when you're building fandom. Oh, Mike, 14-0 over Sam Houston. Okay, so they beat Sam Houston. Okay, so when you're Huge. building fandom. You know, sometimes you're winning and then it's kind of easy to write the story. Sometimes you're losing. Sometimes you're beating Sam Houston. Is that yep. what you said? Okay, Sam. That's it. Nothing. But sometimes, you know, you're looking for different stories, like, you know, just things that will set you apart. Now, I'll say this. BYU has the kind of mascot that I hate the most, Doug. And I'm going to tell you why. What are they? The Cougars? Yeah, they are the Cougars. There's a fairly ironically Zach Wilson's former team. Okay, a fairly generic. Okay, well done, well done. You got video for that? Okay, so <laughs> sometimes so Doug threw me off there a little bit. Okay, so you know generic Wildcat, generic you know line. Those are the the mascots I hate the most because rarely there's a connection to the actual program. The other thing that they do is that it's not an actual Cougar, and I know that's controversial. Mike the Tiger, that kind of thing. It's a guy in a suit. So the generic wildcat guy in a suit tends to be the worst mascots to me. But this guy who's in that suit, he's jumping through fire. He's doing push-ups. He is crushing Instagram. And he's the MVP of the BYU football team through week one. Get this man in an IL deal. 
whoever the cougar is <laughs> whoever the cougar is that was spectacular i don't know if i've seen a better performance from a mascot and mike i know you do i mean we got a whole section on the website about mascots like this yeah. is Doug, integral to you, fandom you want to see that guy you know this like genre of videos where it's mascots playing peewee football players yeah let's yeah. get the byu guy out there you know because that I, guy's I, I think during the bowl games they should have like a maybe a pro bowl type thing with all the mascots where, where they're like actually playing each other like tackle football but this guy is i think if you're a byu fan and you're buying a jersey you don't want any you know you don't want a zach wilson jersey you want like whatever jersey the mascot has whatever his name is put okay. that on the back cosmo the cougar you want a Co- <laughs> you want a cosmo double zero jersey at this point yeah exactly so which is great because for the cougars because you know, Zach Wilson comes and goes. Cosmo the Cougar is here to stay. Yeah. So he's- as, as a side note, think about some of the BYU quarterbacks for the nature of that campus. Because Zach Wilson and goes all the way back to Jim McMahon. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these are not your typical BYU students. I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> what are you saying, Mike? <laughs> when I did this search for Cosmo the Cougar, some of the other questions that came up is Is BYU mascot a girl? And I'm. Maybe. Oh, that could be. A big like reveal. I mean, if it's a woman doing that push up, I don't even. What, what do you call that thing where the mascot is doing push ups to leap from t- leap up to a table to another table to another table? You call it art. Yeah, it is art. <laughs> That's what it is. Did you see the Oregon Duck? How many push ups he had to do? No. He so they scored seventy seven points. So he had to do 500. No, they scored 81 points. So he had to do 546 push-ups this week. In costume. <laughs> yeah, I think you take off the duck mask and it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. Don't you think they're all, yeah, 500. Don't you think they're all gymnasts in those costumes? I don't know. I've never seen I've never seen anything too impressive except for the, the cougar, I, I Cosmo. Don't, did it, I forget who it is. What it came out last year that one of the NBA mascots was making. Oh, it's the the Denver Nuggets guy. The Denver Nuggets. Okay, so he was making what? Like was it like seven hundred k or something? I think it was like three hundred fifty or something. I, I could be wrong. He was. It's still <laughs> yeah. pretty good for a mascot. Without, and I'm, you know, the sixth round draft pick will go to the BYU mascot at the, this year's NFL draft. Honestly, though, like. Did the mascot for the Nuggets, was he like this Cougars guy? Was he doing like crazy stuff or is he just, I mean, he's got to be, right? He's got to be doing something to demand that kind of paycheck. Oh, I, I don't know, but it's got to be, you think it's got to be equal elements of like. He's not just walking around taking pictures <laughs> no. in the concession by the concession stand. And you got to be more than the suit, right? You can't be just the suit. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I'm liking this whole mascot career path because it's lucrative. <laughs> you know, you got to be passionate about sports. You got, I mean, we've all seen my past game day attire. Okay, so Doug, you know, you were blessed with six foot four inches of height. Which I, does, which isn't good for a mascot, by the way. I think, yeah, I'm thinking it gets you a lot of benefits going through life. But in terms of being a mascot, I think that's exactly where you don't want to be. Mike, I am just waiting for the New York Giants to finally have a mascot. And it's going to be me. Because that's <laughs> one where that's going to be one position where you can't have a short mascot. Yeah, I actually, the reason I did like a little origin story. 
reason I did Spike Squad at Georgia, which is for those of you listening, it's the people that paint up for all the games, is I wanted to be the mascot when I was in high school. And I like asked around and looked into it and found out about the tryouts. And they told me like the mascot suit is for someone that's like 5'8". So it just wasn't going to work because they, they interchange people throughout the season and throughout the game. So I was like, I got to find something else. So well, anyway. While we're doing that, Doug, I, I took the time to Google tallest men's Olympic gymnast. Okay. And yeah, you never had a chance. There's a couple of six footers. Do you have to be an Olympic gymnast to be a mascot though? I'm just thinking that's the same skill set. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of these guys are like 5'8", five, 5'7". Five, so it's... Yeah, we'll in another life. I'm, okay, and maybe that is the point of irrelevance where we wrap this one up. So as always, oh, you got something else? I do. I, I was going to say, I still have hope for being a college athlete. I don't know how eligibility works, but I was watching the Virginia-Tennessee game, and the kicker for Virginia is 35 years old. Mm-hmm. was in the military. I don't think he ever played football before and essentially walked onto the team as a 35-year-old, won the starting job as kicker. Did and you? He, I mean, this is a grown man. Did you go out to a high school field and start kicking some ball? Well, I text my brother because he's actually starting grad school at UVA, and he played football in high school. So he actually is prepared for this. And <laughs> I was like, dude, I might go to school and see if, you know, I would just start practice long snapping or something <laughs> and be a college athlete. There's still hope for us. So that guy is an inspiration. And, you know, my mascot career might be over or never start, but, you know, it's a long snap. Okay. I still, I'm not 35 yet. I, and so a while. We will end on that inspiration <laughs> note. As always, more content at fandomanalytics.com. We're getting ready to look right to launch our foray into political fandom. That won't be out there for a couple of weeks. Good stuff ahead.